This episode is brought to you by Wichita, a lonely man's voyeuristic obsession with the private lives of his co-workers spirals into a desperate attempt for attention and a violent spectacle of horror. Starring Persia White from CW's Girlfriends, Caitlin Gerard from ABC's American Crime, Dimitri Gordsis from Black Mirror, Snowden, Everest, Rush, and Saving Private Ryan, Trevor Peterson from The Vampire Diaries, Sandra Kerr-Blake from Helter Skelter and Gunsmoke. Wichita is available on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. My name is Julia Marchesi. And I'm Marion Kerr. We're the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording... Wow. Can we just start over? <laughs> just do a take two. Five, Thank four, you. Three. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the, the final, final girl. girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I am Julia Marchesi. And I'm Marion Kerr. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn, recording at the circus. And this is episode number nine, in which we will be discussing Poltergeist from 1982. The episode is titled, Crossover Children, All Are Welcome. The tagline for Poltergeist is, From a Dimension Beyond the Living, A Terror to Scare You to Death. Or they're here. One or the other. Yeah. I feel like the first thing was actually probably the tagline, and then when that little girl said that line, they were like, whoa, we have, have to really s- rethink. Did you see on, um, on IMDb, they have like a connection section, and they say uh-uh. how many times this movie's been referenced in other movies, and it's I like, it's just scroll thing. and scroll and scroll and scroll. Really? It's like in everything. That's, wait, this, the movie, or they're here? Just something, like a, a, a mention of or a parody of Poltergeist oh, that's, that's in some really way. Funny. And their hair is obviously the most sure. used one, but it's, a, uh-huh. it's referenced a lot. That's and so for funny. a good reason. For a good reason. awesome. Yeah, it is super awesome. Um, so P.S., um, spoilers, so many spoilers are going to be said today. So if you have not seen Poltergeist, press pause right now, go see some Poltergeist, and then come back and press play. And it'll rock your socks, because yeah. this movie is amazing. It is so, amazing. Uh, we, horror Movie Survival Guide is a podcast where we are going through our horror movie notebook from college that we kept and logged every horror movie we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store, Gold Star Video. Shout out, you are dead, but we still love you. <laughs> we still love you. In the context of I never saw any horror movies, and Julia saw a ton, so it was a massive education for me, um, and we became very interested in learning how to survive horror movies based on the lessons we learned from watching these movies. So we're looking at it from a survival standpoint. So how do you survive pol- poltergeist? Mm-hmm. We will let you know. We will let you know. <laughs> you will find out. You'll find end. out. Keep listening. <laughs> so if also if you're having trouble where a bunch of stuff is flying around your house or like your TV and closet are like sucking your children into the void, this is the perfect podcast to be listening yeah, to. Yeah, just listen to us. That's <laughs> what you want to do in that situation, right? <laughs> what do I so. do? What do I do? Google? Oh, podcast play. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> while your while your laptop is like spinning around on its own, <laughs> so um, we have to. We're uh, this was a kind of an odd thing because we watched Poltergeist, yeah, and then uh, that happened to be the day that Toby Hooper died, and we watched it. He hadn't. He was not dead when, as far as we knew, when we started, yeah. and then that we found out that while we were watching it, sometime that day he had died. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad that we got to watch it before 
and not after because I feel like when you're like, I have to watch it because then it takes on a whole different feeling. Totally. Um, but I'm very sad to hear that Toby Hooper has passed away yeah. and he's really amazing and um, I'm going to be, we'll be redoing, reviewing uh, Texas Chainsaw pretty soon because it's yeah. the scariest movie ever made as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And super different than Poltergeist. Yes, um, but this was, so this is a Toby Hooper film and he took on a, a massive, massive film and kicked some ass. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, we, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of talk about like who really directed this movie and like we're not going to, you know, bore you guys with the whole um, drama of that. But I think it's a really interesting collaboration between two filmmakers that you wouldn't necessarily put side by side in that Steven Spielberg wrote the story for Poltergeist and is one of the co-screenwriters, but uh, he also was on hand on set quite a bit, and there's sort of this interesting dynamic where the two of them, in some instances, sort of directed the movie together. And so, but they're two guys that have really different aesthetics, really different, like, just you wouldn't necessarily think to put those two guys together and make a kick-ass horror movie, and they kind of really did. Well, um, maybe directors should collaborate more often, to be honest, because like you mm-hmm. get some of the Toby Hooper in this, you get some of the Steven Spielberg in this. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, is there anything wrong with people collaborating to make a film? Like, why does there have to be uh-huh. like I'm the director? No, I'm the director. Like, well, what if we did this together? Or also just the idea too that like if a filmmaker like look, this is kind of my deal. This is like the kind of movies that I make. I make you know sort of sweet children. I'm not saying that that's what Steven Spielberg is, but like if you know if, if you sort of have this one kind of style that you can really appreciate and admire someone whose style is completely different from their, from yours, and not only appreciate it, but like we should do something together and let's see what's born out of that. And in this case, Poltergeist is born out of it, and it's amazing. Amazing. Yes, so this film had a, a budget of uh, $10.7 million, and it made $121.7 million. Uh, it did very, very well yeah. at the box office, mm-hmm. and, and rightly so, because mm-hmm. um, this film's uh, a, just a really cool, well-done film. So it starts, um, so the we were in Cuesta Verde is the name of the uh, place that this family lives in California. Super suburbia. Crazy, crazy suburbia. So um, we have the opening shot of a dog going through everybody's bedroom. So you get to meet all the characters through the dog who is eating food out from everybody's bed. Like everybody in this family sleeps with like chips under their pillow right. or like it's very strange. But uh-huh. a, cute, a cute opening. Yeah, gotta, it is a cute opening. And uh, then they, they go through kind of other sequences where it's sort of this big, I call it like the big montage of like super 80s suburbia where it's like not only when the dog goes through all the rooms, you also see like all the Star Wars toys. So Star many Wars, Star Wars. I, so many Star I mean, I get it. It's 1982, like fair, but like. It's like shoved in your face. In I mean, film, I know it's it's pretty, but that, I mean, it's probably accurate. Like probably 1982, it's what all the little boys probably had, you know. Um, but it's that, it's sort of like you see kind of these long shots of kids like, you know, racing little streetcars and like toy cars like through the neighborhood and like a guy biking with like his beer and and just, you know, lots of winding. You can just, it, it looks a lot obviously like the opening of the neighborhood in E.T. as well, but it's just like kind of this everything is normal. Look how normal and everyday and recognizable this is, everybody. Like, it seems like, it, you know, I feel like sometimes these, sometimes these kind of ghost horror movies, like, they start off with, like, look at that house. Doesn't that house look like the kind of house that incredibly creepy stuff would... And that is not this movie. This movie is just, like, nope, normal, super normal. Like, this movie could be about anything based on the opening montage. 
I kind of like to see, like, I kind of imagine, I know they're not supposed to be, but, like, if, if E.T. and Poltergeist actually took place, like, in the same cul-de-sac, uh-huh. where it's, like, on one like one side of the street, you got this craziness, and the other side of the street, there's, like, an alien that they're hiding, and That's then so there's, like, government men coming in. And- I think it'd be I think it'd be more awesome if there was, like, a house that was in the middle between those two houses, and then we make a third movie about the kid that lived in that house, and he's, like, got, you know, he's got NASA spacesuits on one side, and, like, a house trying to eat itself on the other. It's like, wow, that was a crazy summer, right, guys? Like, there you go. That's a great movie idea right there. I know. That's that's for free, everyone. You're welcome for that. <laughs> so um, there's a... We have a, the beginning. So this, a lot of this film takes place here on a television. So uh, there's a little girl, Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke, who is hearing voices through the television. So right. we hear her have one side of a conversation with the ghosts and... Um, there's so there's a there's a scene that will come. It kind of tries to explain it away a little bit, where there's a remote control battle between right. Stephen, who's the dad, uh, Craig T. Nelson, in this, and his neighbor, and uh, so like their frequencies are are, are weird. So they, that, yeah. that's a part of it, uh, which I think also being sort of like part of like the digital generation. I'm like, wait, how does that work when your neighbor control your neighbor's remote controls your TV and. You're like, we were like, I don't, I don't fully get it. Like, I don't fully understand. But there's, yes, that there's supposed to be like technical issues that they're having already with the TV. Right. So maybe it's not necessarily like, who knows what Carol Ann's talking to the TV about. And But the, as in, in, you know, I, I'm up for anything uh, retro and the fact that like the static plays such a big role mm-hmm. in this movie, which is such a great thing that we've lost that like totally. the, there's so many films that use it. And I think this one uses it in like the best way, totally. whereas like you have this untuned frequency Mm-hmm. which means anybody can come through, including do- dead people or right. other dimensions or whatever it is um, that you, you know, I, I miss the static. I also think it's just a good idea too, because again, it's like just much like the opening with the whole, you know, it's normal suburbia. They take like an everyday thing, which like in 1982 static or like that, um, you, that thing where like, you know, the TV channels weren't 24 seven. So like at, you know, two in the morning, it would play the national anthem and they would have like images of like the white house and stuff. And then your TV would turn off. It would turn to static because there is no more programming for like the next four hours. And like that in 1982, just an everyday normal, everyone sees it. Everyone saw it. That's not creepy at all. It becomes incredibly creepy in this movie. Yeah. Well done for yeah. making static creepy. Totally. <laughs> so, um, so the, the first indication we have of anything kind of going wrong in this film. Um, so Robbie, who is the young son, who is a so car- let's break down the family. We've got okay. Stephen and Diane, who are the two parents, who are Craig T. Nelson, Joe Beth, Joe Beth Williams, who we love. Who's, She's amazing. Yeah. There'll be more ogling about her later. Um, and uh, and then they have three children: um, Dominique Dunn, who's the teenage daughter. Um, and then Oliver Robbins, right, is mm-hmm. uh, plays Robbie, the son, sort of the middle child, and then Carol Ann is the youngest daughter. And the the, the oldest daughter, uh, Dana, who's sixteen, is just just basically is useless in this film. Like she <laughs> she shows up, she kind of hangs around for a scene or two, and then she disappears, and then she comes back at the end to freak out, and then she disappears again. Yeah, it's very odd. I don't know why. The, maybe she had like big scenes that were cut out, but like there's That's no what I kind reason of felt, for her. But to yeah, be in it's like film. stuff happens to the other kids, but like she just kind of shows up and sort of cries a little bit, and then kind of goes away again. Like nothing really happens to her so by the end of this movie we're like what was the point of the third kid like what was the what was the deal with her and i think robbie who's the little boy gets doesn't ever get a lot of play i think but i think he's really great and we we were marveling at the fact that he's just a nervous kid yeah and that's like it's interesting to have that kind of kid as as a character because you don't really get that who's the kid just like everything freaks him out yeah i like that Um, um and we and i we figured out that uh so we read that Stephen King, when he, I mean, sorry, not Stephen King, Stephen Spielberg, two totally different guys. <laughs> you get your 80s Stevens mixed up. It's, you know, it's very difficult. Whatever. 
are Steven Spielberg, <laughs> that guy. Um, his fears when he was a kid was the uh, clouds. And also he had a scary tree outside of his windows, which mm-hmm. features into this film. Right. So um, when I was very small, so the first horror movie I ever saw was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 with uh, my best friend Ryan okay. when I was a little girl. Uh-huh. And uh, I was too scared to do it, but he was like, come on. And I'm like, oh, if I have a guy for a best friend, I got to show him like I, I could do it. And I watched it. And it was a horrible mistake. Uh-huh. And I had horrible nightmares. And like, Did you see it when it came out or you saw it, it later? It was on VHS. Oh, okay. Um, and so I wouldn't watch any after that for a while and then, of course, got back into it. But uh-huh. I remember him telling me about Poltergeist and saying there's a scene where a tree eats a little boy. And I was like, what? And like I, that, it, that kind of horror had never occurred to me. And then all of a sure. sudden, there's like trees everywhere and I'm like what that's that's terrifying the trees are gonna eat us all so I was I was very scared of this film before I saw it and it is I mean it is scary scary and Mm -hmm. the tree eating scene is pretty awesome yeah there's some effects I mean the special effects in this film are out of control and the fact that there's so much like they do so many different kinds of things a lot of practical stuff a lot Mm -hmm. of like crazy matte painting CG? Is it CG? I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess when we talk later about the actual creatures as they start to manifest themselves, yeah, it's sort of thing where you're like, how did they do that back then? I don't, I'm not entirely clear. No, don't know. Um, But anyway, I interrupted you. So you were saying you started with the... um, The little boy who sees, um, basically it's, it's the nothing from the never-ending story, just these like... Up in the sky. Yeah, these like rolling clouds coming through that no one else seems to notice except for Robbie. Right. So they have this storm that's coming through that mm-hmm. th- there's lots of thundering and lightning. Um, and then we have uh, Robbie getting eaten by the tree. Right. Um, yeah, because it's like the parents have gone, so it's like sort of, you know, begin with like super suburbia. Briefly, Carol Ann ta- has a one-sided conversation with Static in the television set. Uh, parents go back to their room... Oh, there's this scene where they smoke pot. They get high, right? Which they is get, so exciting. They get high while he's reading. They get high while he's reading a book about Ronald Reagan. I mean, it was like so eighties. Like, and like, then she tells like the crazy story about like she thought there was the guy that she fell asleep in the back of the guy's car because she was sleepwalking, and yeah. then like they thought maybe the guy had like touched her, and then she thinks it's really funny because she's high, right? And then you're like. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, um, but yes, and then Robbie comes in because he can hear the storm coming and he's scared and Craig T. Nelson puts him back to bed and then when he leaves, that's when the tree starts making movements closer and closer and closer to the window and all of poor's Rob, poor Robbie's fears come true. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the, there's a... So it's, but we find out that it's actually a diversion, the mm-hmm. tree, because the, the real... Uh, horror is the house uh so the, the possibly a portal to another dimension and or the afterlife is in their closet the kids closet. right i think that i think it's sort of one and the same in this movie i think like anytime sort of a portal opens up to what we would call another dimension that is the afterlife for them because things that kind of pass to and from it are dead things you know what i mean except sure. they suck in a live child and that's sort of the conflicts in there but i feel like this movie treats that as the same like, there's not really any difference between, like, portal to dimension and portal to where people go when they die. So they have a portal in their mm-hmm. closet. Um, and so as, they, as the parents run out to try to save Robbie, mm-hmm. Carol Ann, uh, the little girl gets sucked into her closet. Right. Um, so they run in there. They think that she's in there, but it's just the clown doll, the horrible clown doll that Robbie right. has for no reason. Why would you have such a terrible doll? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that he's totally terrified of, and he keeps covering up. And yeah. I'm like, just get rid of the toy kid. Yeah, like, you just don't get have rid of that. to have the toy. <laughs> I know. Uh, so then they think that maybe she fell into the pool that they're digging in the backyard. So right. um, this film has possibly the worst construction workers ever put on film who mm-hmm. are literally reaching through the window, drinking the mother's coffee, and yeah. then like taking the like the wooden spoon out of the pot of sauce and eating it. 
And then that's and then you, they get caught and they're like, yeah, sorry about that. And they're just like, and she's like, oh, workers, oh, oh, terrible construction workers. You know, you're like, d- d- what? What? Yeah. Hitting on the daughter, hitting on the teenage daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Classy. Ridiculous. Yeah. So what, but basically once they, all, they, Carol Ann's gone when they all come back in the house and they all run around searching for her and then they start hearing her and they realize she's coming from the television set. Um, and there it's, and again, it's one of those things where like, and you know, this movie will start to kind of do that a lot where like they take an extraordinary situation like that. And especially Joe Beth Williams character in this movie, she takes it totally at face value. Like if something like that happens, she just see, she just believes it. She's not like, Oh, well this Caroline must be somewhere else. And this must all like, she's in the television set. Like she puts her hands up against the television set, like that's that's real for her. Like her baby's like in in the television set has been sucked in. So, do you think that uh, Diane Jo Beth Williams' character in this? Uh, do you feel like she's the the better '80s mom, or D. Wallace Stone from ET is the bad, better '80s mom? I kind of feel like Jo Beth Williams is because here's the thing I also love about her in this movie is there's another scene that takes place a little bit earlier in the movie when. Um, things, you know, a poltergeist is sort of like a noisy spirit, like things that just sort of creates trouble and moves things around. And there's a great scene where, you know, the chairs keep constantly getting pushed out at the kitchen table and they keep having to push them back in. Um, and eventually it kind of leads to this point where um, Stephen goes off to work and come, and, and things are being moved about and he comes back and she's, recognized, she's realized that there is a spot in the kitchen where if she puts anything down, it slides across the kitchen on its own. And the way in which she treats that, and again, I feel like in a normal movie, a character would see that and be like, you know, it'd be like big eyes and what? And what does that mean? And, you know, all this kind of reaction. Or I'm going to figure it out. Like, there must be a logical explanation. And Jo Beth Williams doesn't take it like that at all. She's just excited by it. She's thrilled to death that if she puts something in her kitchen, including her own kid, it'll slide six feet across the floor all on its own. Like, she thinks it's the most fun, thrilling, whatever. And, like, Stephen wants to call the police and, like, what is going on? And she's like, you know, these things just happen. We just have to accept them. We just... And there's something about that attitude, especially in a horror movie, that I think is really great and kind of, I don't know... I feel like it's kind of unique. And I feel like D. Wallace Stone is a bit more, like, rational. Well, they don't really let her in a lot. True. Like, they, she's kept in the dark for, like, a good portion of that movie, where, like, Joe Beth Williams is, like, the star of this. And there's a shot uh, right before that in that same sequence where there's the chairs are being put. You have a sh- this great unbroken shot where yeah. Joe Beth Williams walks into the kitchen where all the chairs are pushed away from the table. So she pushes them back in, goes around the corner while they you just just out of the frame on the sh- on the table she gets them gets them cleaner comes back and they're all stacked up on the table like a, in a pyramid yeah. which is like really really impressive uh, and, and just fast it's like she goes to get the like we don't see the table for like 5 seconds and then when they go back they're all stacked in a perfect pyramid noiselessly like it's great you know and again she sees that and she's like oh, you know and startled by it but she's not like my house is possessed time to freak out like all this kind of stuff like she's just excited like really really thrilled and I think that's really cool. <laughs> so uh, they decide after uh, Carol Ann has been sucked into the television to uh, get some help. Right. Where do uh, you go to get help, Julia, in this situation? Where would you go? <laughs> we were really excited about this because uh, the shot of the place where they go to get these uh, parapsychologists is at UC Irvine, Yay. which is where we went to college. So we were watching Poltergeist. And it's never featured in movies, no. like ever. So. so we were in college watching this, and we're like across the street from that building, and we're like, hey! <laughs> we were so excited so every time that shot comes up I'm sure that the shot thrills nobody but us no not a single person yeah um, so they go to get some people to come check out the house right 
Um, uh, so we have Dr. Lesh and then her helpers, Ryan and Marty. Poor Marty. Oh, Marty's going to have some problems. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Marty later. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like, I forget what it says on the door, but it's like some incredibly like parapsychology and something, something, something. And, and basically like they're not sleeping. They're not, you know, like the their daughter's been taken. They can't figure out where she is. Craig T. Nelson sits there and just basically breaks it down. He's just like, look, we just we just want our daughter back. We just we just need help. And they're like, okay, all right, you know. And so they go and kind of move in with them essentially and like set up all their like super groovy 80s recording equipment <laughs> all over their house and start kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And I feel like in that I think it's that first night that it happens, right? Where we have one of like the best special effects sequences um, where the portal briefly opens for the top of the staircase and descending down the staircase is again, very Spielbergian in terms of like the lights and the music and the, you know, um, but the portal briefly opens and all these spirits like in sort of various shape, like in the very kind of, you know, what they were wearing when they died and the way they looked then, start descending down their stairs, just, you know, taking a walk through your house. It's a bunch of dead people. And there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of them. Um, and they realize, and that's when they start to realize that Carol Ann is in amongst them. They don't know how to get her back, but, like, that's the deal. And they record they recorded all of it, which is, again, another element that I like because I feel like, again, in modern... I feel like more in modern horror movies, like they'll record the evidence of ghosts or proof that it's there. And then at some point in the movie, they lose it. You know what I mean? So like it, the truth will never get out. And like and they record, like they play back and watch on videotape all these ghosts descending the stairs. They're like, all right, great. We'll make a full copies of that. And uh, yeah, we're good. And like th- that happens in the movie. Like at the end of the movie, they walk away with that evidence and there's no like, but she, oh, but the she, ghost swiped it or the, you know. She does ask them not to put it on That's Incredible. So. I mean, that's like her only request though, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, can you not put it on That's Incredible? And aside from that, no, do whatever you want with your ghost tapes. Like, I'm fine. I'm good with it. Uh, so there's a nice scene of uh, Dr. Lesh and the mom uh, having a kind of whispering conversation yeah. about how terrified they are about this. And while they're having this delightful conversation and drinking from a flask. Yeah. Uh, Marty, one of the uh, guys, goes into the other room. So the, he's a very he's a very casual house guest. He, he just mm-hmm. casually goes into their fridge, takes out a, a chicken leg and a steak. Because when you go over to somebody's house, you don't know. You just go and you eat their steaks, right? Like you just, eat like the best thing in their fridge. That's uh-huh. what you do. <laughs> and uh, which he just puts on the counter, and which uh, starts moving of its own accord in a very awesome practical effect, yeah. with lots of gore kind of mm-hmm. dripping out of it. Uh, drops the maggot now maggot-infested chicken leg right. and then goes into the bathroom where Marion can't watch any of the sequence. No, which not Which is at too all. bad because the makeup effects are fantastic. The thing is, I know when we when I first watched this, I obviously saw it, like the first go-around because I didn't know what was coming. Um, but this last go-around, we rewatched it. I know as soon as he was in the bathroom and I was like, well, I will be looking at my lap for the next minute, so you let me know how that goes. Uh, you see him tear his own face off. So, but yeah, it's like basically he looks up and he kind of rubs his face and like like a bit of the skin breaks off and a couple drops of blood fall in the sink. And then he rubs it again and more of the skin. And then he just starts like just... And like there's this great like panic music that just amps up and builds and he starts clawing at more and more of his own face like in more and more of a panic. And just he's ripping off chunks of his own face and it keeps dropping into this like pristine white sink until he's basically like a skull face. Mm-hmm. And then he screams, and he looks back at the mirror, and he's fine. And, and, it's, and it's an example of, and this is um, a thing that uh, uh, when a later character comes in, she starts kind of illustrating that what the poltergeist specifically does is it takes whatever your worst fear is, and it makes that happen. And so um, with Robbie, the tree, like terrified of the tree, so yes, the tree's going to come eat you. And uh, with... Um, 
uh, Diane is really scared of the pool, of things related to the pool, dangers in the pool that they're digging. And I guess Marty's terrified of having ripping his own face off, I Which guess? is something I would never have thought of. I wouldn't have either. And now, maybe that's one of my fears. Nothing but. It? I'm going <laughs> to rip my own face off. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Um, Thanks, Poltergeist. But what I also really enjoy about that is so, like that happens to Marty, and then they cut back to the, to the movie. And a, a, a couple scenes later, they mentioned how Marty just left. Like, Marty's off the investigation, and we never see Marty again. Mar- that happens to Marty, and he's like... Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think uh, I think I'm out, guys. And I'm done. Yeah. Bye. So um, they uh, they need to they need bigger bigger guns. Right. So they gotta they gotta bring in the big guns. Mm-hmm. Tangina. Tangina, played by Zelda Rubenstein, who's awesome. Who's awesome. Yeah. Who is this? Just a. I don't. Was she southern in real life? I don't know. Because her southern accent in this movie is just like with the sort of the, her high pitched voice and the southern accent, just so creepy i don't know she's she amazing. she has such an amazing presence and just comes in and just like owns it mm-hmm. uh the internet tells me she was actually born in pennsylvania huh interesting people, people okay. in pennsylvania don't have accents i mean not that kind of accent not that kind of accent yeah yeah so clearly she's like you know what my own voice not creepy enough but what if i did it <laughs> do you think she's creepy i think she's meant to be don't you I think she's meant to be uh, like funny. unsettling, like not not creepy like you, but you know, like you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like she's not she's not a calming factor. Well, maybe she is later, but like when you first meet her, like I don't know. I feel like she's meant to sort of be unsettling because I like again, again because. Uh, Joe Beth Williams is such a such a great aspect of this character. When she comes in and she's a medium and a psychic and you know has cleared houses before and understands how all this stuff works, uh, Diane just believes her. She's like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. So what are we gonna do about this? Whatever. And Craig T. Nelson is like, mm, I don't know about this lady, psychics, clearing houses. I don't. Which is kind of funny because you feel at that point you'd believe all of it, right? It's like a bunch of dead people descended down your staircase. Like, are you not all in? Like, when will you be all in? Does he? Is he ever all in? I don't know. I just think that it's. I think he doesn't want it to be true. I right. think, which I get. I mean, you're not like my kid was sucked into another dimension with dead people. I'm like, you're not for that, but yeah, I just like that's. I think it's an interesting contrast between the two of them, where he's like, mm, and she's like, yep. Great, yep. cool. So you're a psychic, so what are we going to do? Like, just all in. I love that. So the plan becomes that they're going to uh, go to the other side to get Carol Ann back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a scene, um, which my favorite quote comes from, in which uh, Tangina asks uh, Joe Beth Williams, Diane, will you go along with anything I ask, even if it goes against your beliefs as a human being and a Christian? And she says yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I could answer that question yes. Everything I believe is a human being. Everything. You have to go against it. But then we were talking about this, and I feel like as soon as you like, yes, 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 but then for your kid? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, basically. When, like, and it, when and if I have a kid, I'm going to watch a whole bunch of movies over, because I'm going to watch like this, <laughs> I'm going to watch Secret of Nim, uh-huh. I'm going to watch Rosemary's Baby, and I'm going to be like, okay, I get it now. Like, I didn't, uh-huh. you know, the, that mother thing that I don't, I don't know what that is, but, uh-huh. but you know, can guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But no, that makes, but that makes sense, because I feel like at that point, and also like, you have no choice. I feel like at that point, like if my kid got sucked into a, the TV, into an altered dimension, I can't do anything to get my kid back without help from like Zelda Rubenstein or something. Like, I'm not, what am God. I going to, I'm going to Google that? Like, like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, you have no, there's no tools. There's nothing to be like, 
how do I get my kid back from the TV? So Zelda um, Rubenstein. Zelda Rubenstein. But what I also really like is like the way in which they're going to get her back. Like she was sucked into the closet, and so they have this great montage where they're like, "All right." She gives this amazing um, pep talk about how it all works, and you know, there's the beast, and he preys on your fears, and you know, he was a Carol Ann was sort of the access point because she believed so readily, so early, and you know, he wants her, and they're attracted to her, and blah 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 blah. And um, but then the very end, she's like, "All right." Let's go get your daughter back. And then they have this great montage where they go and buy rope and like a whole bunch of like they fill the bathtub filled with water and they do like a whole bunch of like practical like right, going to go to battle on, on tennis balls. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or in num- numbers too. Right. Aren't they yes. writing numbers on tennis mm-hmm. balls? Yeah. So then they start kind of sort of using like the scientific method to test how that this thing works. And apparently how it works is that um, the closet definitely opens up the portal into this other dimension slash I don't know. Purgatory, whatever, whatever yeah, it is, limbo. I don't, yeah, limbo, whatever it is. Um, but that the other side of it um, opens up, comes out through uh, the, the the ceiling in the living room. So they start doing these tests where they throw a tennis ball with a specific number through it, and then through it, they throw it into the closet, and it pops out out of the ceiling. Um, and like the her assistant Ryan catches it in his hand. Um, so then they finally chuck the rope in. The rope comes through the ceiling in the living room. And then Joe Beth Williams is like, I'm going in. I'm going in to get my daughter. Um, and she does. And she does. And mm-hmm. she comes out covered in pink goo, which mm-hmm. they have to, uh, but they, they are together and saved. And Tangina, she says, this house is clear. This house so is we're like, cleared. happy, everything's done. Mm-hmm. No, wait, just kidding. Just kidding. Totally You're like, oh, not. wait, we have 20 more minutes of movie. Uh, so we, we had learned in an earlier scene that Craig T. Nelson works for this development company who does the real estate and that they had... Uh, moved part of a cemetery mm-hmm. to get moved to build where their houses were. Mm-hmm. So uh, it turns out that uh, they didn't... What is your favorite quote? Will I you? mean, my favorite quote about, about this is so... Um, you know, they, they think that everything, uh, th- when they're trying to figure out what the source of all this and, and how it all came to be... Um, uh, at some point, uh, coffins and dead people start popping up through the pool and popping up through other parts of the house, and the house goes into like poltergeist banana activity again. And Craig T. Nelson realizes that they only moved the headstones. And so he, his boss shows up at the house, um, and he grabs him and screams this line at him. He says, you son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? You son of a bitch, you left the bodies, and you only moved the headstones. Why? And then, yeah, there's a few more whys extra. Um, it's amazing. And the, the guys on the receiving end of like Craig T. Nelson screaming this at him is like wide eyed and wild eyed. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. But they do mention that it is not a tri- an ancient tribal burial ground. It's just people. It's just people. Um, so we get, uh, so that we, you get the fake out where you think the house is clear. Right. Actually, the house is not clear. Right. Uh, Joe Beth Williams gets kind of sexually assaulted by a ghost, like tries to like pull her top up. Yeah. Um, and then they do the whole room spinning thing. Like they do a nightmare on Elm street, yes. um, where the, where like she goes up the walls, up this or across the ceiling back down. But I feel like, like nightmare on Elm street does it so much better than this film, mm-hmm. which is weird. Cause you'd think it'd be the other way around. Right. But, um, the room spin is maybe too fast or too slow. There's like the tip, the, uh-huh. it's not right. And, um, it bothers me, and this is so picky, but like jo, they put Joe Beth Williams into basically just a t-shirt and panties, and so she spends a good deal of the time crawling up the ceiling and like trying to fix it so you can't see her panties, yeah. which I know as an actress is one thing, but like that character doesn't give a fuck about her panties at that moment. You yeah. know, she's like being tossed on the ceiling, so it kind of it kind of diminishes it. It a is little a little bit. distracting, yeah, because you can see that she's clearly trying to like keep her shirt down, and she's just, by herself in that room, and I'm like. Eh, I probably wouldn't really care about that in that moment, but just I, you can tell. Shorts. Yeah, I was like, just give the actress some shorts or something, or something 
that won't fly up because that's weird. Uh, and we get uh, Robbie's clown finally comes for him. Right. Which he just him. destroys it by just like rips its guts out and just right on Robbie. But I feel like Robbie has to because Robbie has to have the like, you know, sort of, you know, sort of... I, I mean, I guess you can kind of argue that maybe um, Diane's character is sort of like the final girl to an extent, but there's also kind of like final family. It is final family. It is very final family. And so all of them have to sort of have, especially Robbie, because he's such a nervous kid, has to like destroy the thing that he fears. And that's how you survive, right? Correct. But actually, this one's interesting because our final girl is always you have to act on your own. Like, that's how you survive. Right. But this film is like you have to act as a family. Correct. Everybody has to like be in it together. Except for Robbie does kill the, you know, destroy the clown by himself. Oh, that's like true. he does destroy him by himself, you know, he can't. And so maybe like that's you, Robbie's and Craig T. Nelson's is like going to his boss and saying like, you moved the, you know, that whole thing. And you need your whole family except for your 16 year old daughter because right. she's just going to disappear. Yeah. So the house are like basically like dead people are pl- popping up all over the place and the house is, you know, destroying itself. And so they all like pile into the car in the station wagon and they back out of the house. And then the daughter, the 16 year old daughter who's been gone for however long at the movie at this point is just being dropped off by her friend, coincidentally at that point, gets out of the car and sees the house and is like, what is happening? And they're like, get in the car. And then they just drive off and that's it. Yeah. Um, but and then shot of them is them in a Holiday Inn where Craig T. Nelson takes the TV out of the room. Correct. No more TVs. Yeah. Because that's bad. And movie. Um, yeah, so I think that there's the... the Again, the sort of the things that I really like about this movie is for one, like all the special effects that they go through, like when they come out and they're covered in the goo, and a couple of times you see in the closet um, sort of like these manifestations of the poltergeist. It becomes sort of this weird spider-looking thingy, and then at some point it becomes a giant face that scares Craig T. Nelson. Um, the effects are really amazing, and their idea of what spirits and everything looks like has this very kind of bright ethereal, like it's all going to be okay, slash it could be terrifying um, mix, and the score is a massive part of it, where it's all kind of like beautiful and terrifying simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of really like that. Gore factor. One, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a bottle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, bathtub of blood. And five, run for the barf bag. We rated a poltergeist three and a half out of five. So... For the face ripping off. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's basically all for the face ripping off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the movie rating itself, it's zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastical. Um, and this movie got a big old five from Julia and Marion. Yes, a double five. Double five. So not quite there on the gore level, but really all right there yeah. on the everything else level. Let me just mention really quickly that uh, this movie is PG, just so you know, which is insane. Because and you a should, lie. You should not be showing this film to children. <laughs> it's <a> straight lie. <laughs> like, even 13-year-old is dubious, so... Yeah. It should be an R. And I guess I think I think I also read when they originally submitted this, like it was an R. They were like, well, all right, we'll cut out like 15 minutes. But it's definitely a little bit. And again, I think it's because it has sort of like the Spielberg touch on it. Like, well, not really that scary. Lies. Like, extremely scary. Very scary and great because there isn't like a villain. There's not like a Jason or a Freddy or like somebody like you're, uh-huh. like you're fighting against like a nebulous kind of yeah. other world. But again, I think the key to surviving this movie and, and others kind of of its ilk is how much you will embrace what is happening to you, no matter how bonkers or whatever it seems. And I really feel like, in a lot of ways, Diane is sort of kind of the heroine of this movie, even though I know it's very much about the family. But because I think she embraces what's happening to them with this kind of like wonder and glee and then later terror, but just believes, totally believes, I feel like that helps the family along. Like, without her, there'd be a lot of like trying to convince people what they're seeing is true. And there's like none of that with her. She's like, nope, yep. 
this is happening. What are we going to do about it? This is so, happening. What are we going to so do about it? So if you've tuned into this podcast specifically to find out how you fend off a poltergeist, right. uh, believe what the medium says to you. Yeah. And, and bring in the medium right away. Yes. Yeah. Like and then right if away. you have to be go, go to another dimension, you do it and Correct. then everything turns out fine. Yeah. And it all works out. Yeah. Because again, Diane's the one that goes in to get Carol Ann. Like mm-hmm. Stephen's like, no me. And she's like, definitely not. It's going to be me. It's got to um, be mom. It's definitely got to be mom. So Yeah. So you can find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We are on Twitter. We are, we are the letter R, into survival. Mm-hmm. The other two, we are Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Julia C. Marquesi on uh, the Twitters and the things. Um, and I'm Marion R. Kerr on Twitter. And uh, you can tune in next week when we'll be talking about 1988's little scene, but super awesome, Lady in White. Oh, so good. More ghosts. Oh, there's going to be lots of ghosts. Kid ghosts Kid are ghosts. the scariest ghosts. <laughs> they really are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you then, guys. Bye. Bye.